Good afternoon, and welcome to our third episode of Innovators Drinking Java. Our hope while you're listening to this podcast is to inspire ideas about among educators. In this podcast series, we will dive into the world of education, reflecting on the question, how are today's teachers engaging students in their learning? We will be meeting up with teachers and staff from around Frederick County who will share their expertise on how they have inspired students and staff with their innovative strategies. And we are here today at Dublin Roasters Cafe off of North Market Street in downtown Frederick. I am Ann Duncan, and I'm here with Laura Shear. And again, this is episode three of our podcast, Innovators Drinking Java. All right. We are here with Scott Murphy, who is the Director of Curriculum Instruction and Innovation here in Frederick County Public Schools. Scott, welcome. We are so glad to have you here. Thank you for having me. We're going to start with the very important question. What are you drinking today? (laughs) Well, we were just chatting. It's decaf latte. Mm -hmm. Uh, Decaf because it's a little late in the day for caffeine for me, but otherwise I won't sleep tonight. Same, same. (laughs) I'm drinking some water today because I had a lot of coffee during our uh, early dismissal day today. So yes. And I have, I'm drinking straight espresso, but it's decaf so I can sleep tonight like Scott and we're just going to roll with it. So let's get started. Sure. So Scott, can you tell us a little bit about your background in your field of education? Sure. Um, This is a year 28 in public education for me in three different school districts. Seven months here in Frederick County, three years in suburbs of New Orleans, Louisiana, and the remaining 24 in our neighbor, Montgomery County Public Schools. Through that time, I have been a special ed teacher, an assistant principal, a middle and high school principal, and a curriculum director, uh, both in Montgomery County, and so excited to be here in Frederick, uh, working um, in the curriculum department here in Frederick County Public Schools. Really excited about it. Yeah, we are so happy you're here. You have been an excellent addition to the curriculum department, and I, for one, am really glad that I get to work with you. I know you have a passion for equity in education. Were there specific experiences or core beliefs that led to that passion that you have? I honestly think it started on day one. I was actually just telling this story recently. I just mentioned my first year as a teacher in Louisiana, as a special education teacher, the high school level. And it was a large high school. I was a teacher of record for 10 high school students with emotional disabilities. Mm. Um, And our classroom was portable outside. And there really was no curriculum, number one. But number two, the principal said to me, young man, and I was all of 22 years old at the time, (laughs) young man, your most important job is to keep them out there, meaning keep the students out there and portable. Wow. Um, They'll come out for lunch and maybe if it's a good day, maybe physical education. Um, But the main job was to basically keep the lid on, which, and that was my, that, that was from before, before day one as a brand new teacher. Um, and so I think really looking back on it, that, that sparked, uh, a lens of equity in everything I did. Um, you know, a few short years after that, you know, five years after that, I was back here in Maryland in another district as a teacher and then assistant principal. And then at that level, you start really seeing issues around access and opportunity and privilege and, Really, when we talk about, you know, what we want to see in the, when our students cross the stage at high school graduation, we want them ready to thrive in their life, right? Ready to thrive in college, ready to thrive in career. And 
you know, I started to see as a leader the disparities that we have in preparing kids to thrive in their future. And so as I then went on to the principalship and now as a, as a district leader, um, these issues around equity, access, opportunity, I believe really need to be first and foremost for all of us as we prepare kids for their future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Your story about New Orleans, your first year as a teacher, that's heartbreaking to think that those kids, that was all that was, that was all that was asked for of them was to just be there and not be in the way. I can imagine how that would have an impact on you in terms of wanting to see something better. And I think it also, you know, sparked a drive in leadership for me because that, that Mm. wasn't okay. Right. Right. So, you know, after a year or two, um, some colleagues and I, you know, really took some initiative with the school leadership around, hey, uh, how about we um, plug some of these students into the general ed algebra class? Because number one, I'm not a math teacher, but number two, they can do it. Right. Um, and so beginning to communicate a belief that they can and we will support them. Um, and that was, you know, that, that also, I think, helped, you know, inspire a kind of a leadership bug in me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, moving along with this equity lens, we talk a lot about personalized learning in FCPS. It's an educational approach that aims to customize learning for each student's strengths, needs, skills, and interests, giving students choice over the path, place, and pace of learning, and more control over the learning process. So how can personalized learning act as a catalyst for better serving our most disadvantaged students? Such a good question. And I think it sort of starts back with the beliefs, right? We just talked about our beliefs around equity and our beliefs around potential. And I think it really starts with a belief that every single student can learn at high levels and a belief that all means all and all doesn't mean some. And as a result, when we talk about personalized learning, I see it really less as an approach and more as fundamental to our work in serving all students personalization really being a gateway to all students learning at high levels and personalization being an equity move to ensure that we're maintaining those expectations and and putting strategies and approaches in place that match and serve students where they are. Mm-hmm. So are there any conditions that teachers can set for greater intellectual curiosity for engagement that you can think of? Well, I think... I think this is going to come as no surprise to you all, but it starts with relationships. It starts with Mm -hmm. personal connections. It starts with knowing our students. It Mm -hmm. starts with our building mutual trust with students. You know, really before, to me, we talk about the instructional strategies, the instructional approaches, the the way that we're going to deliver the curriculum. I think we all sitting here know that it starts with strong relationships with our kids. It starts with building the connections and knowing them and really kind of fundamental to building anything engaging, meaningful in a classroom. It also comes with expectations, right? Back to that belief that all students can and all students will. Relationships are important, but as are expectations. And so I really think those are the conditions that you asked about. Strong, positive relationships, high expectations for everyone. And then, you know, we're on a journey together in teaching and learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We talk so much about different instructional strategies. I know right now there's a lot of conversation around the Rosenshine principles. There's a lot of great instructional strategies that are 
encouraged to be used and are very effective in the classroom. But what you're saying about relationships and having high expectations, like it really speaks to the fact that teaching is an art. It's more than just a checklist. And um, those relationships are so integral to, to having that student success and making sure every student is seen. Yeah, so uh, former um, leaders of mine, and this is probably out there somewhere, it's not only an art, but it also takes heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also science. So teaching is both art, heart, and, and science, really. And yeah. I think, you know, when we get to the instructional strategies, we're really talking about the science. When we talk about mind brain education and personalization, mm-hmm. we're talking about the science. But at the end of the day, the art really is building the conditions that you asked about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the heart is the relationships. Absolutely. I love that. The two I love form, that. Yeah. Yeah. So, from a systems level, what makes you most hopeful? about what you've seen in schools in Frederick County? Well, first of all, I, I think the conditions that we just <clears> talked <throat> about are here. I've, you know, my initial um, observations or feel of the school system, and I've been a lot in a lot of schools the past six months, it really feels like a family. And what happens in a family? There's, you know, you care about each other on a warm, you know, meaningful personal level, but you also have high expectations for whether it's your children or how business gets done in our family. And so it feels very much like a family, like the culture is kind of seems to be built around um, those conditions that we just talked about. That's so good to hear. I, know, it's <laughs> I love it. I've also been blown away by the talent. This is a talented workforce in it's Frederick so County true. public schools um, with intellectual talent, with pedagogical talent, with art, heart and science talent. Yeah. Um, you know, the research and evidence-based strategy focus, the, the way we do business operationally. It's, it's, I've just been really impressed with the talent that exists here. So excited to be excited about that. Absolutely. Whenever I go to a school, I just love the opportunity to see all the amazing teachers and the things that they're doing with their students. And it's just, it's a great place to be. So talking about student agency now, because we talk a lot about that in Frederick County. How do you create or foster intrinsic motivation in students? I'm going to sound like a broken record, uh, <laughs> really, because I, I think I think if, when we have classrooms that students know that either the teacher or the adult in the room cares, uh, when there are those expectations, when there is mutual trust that's being built, again, almost like a family, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's when we can see students foster their own independence, where we can see students, you know, take advantage of different choices and options that may be offered. Um, When we see students take ownership of their learning, that, you know, is difficult when the climate of the classroom or the relationships that the the teacher or the adults have are not there, uh, it's going to be much more difficult to foster student agency. And again, student agency is a good example of, and I think we're going to talk about this, one of the components of Innovators Ignite. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, it's so interesting to be here talking about innovators drink, you know, innovators drinking Java. But again, something like student agency um, or some of the other features of Innovators Ignite, is this innovation or is this what teaching and learning should be in the mm. year 2023 mm-hmm. uh, for all students, right? Yeah. And right. so, um, that's, you know, from, from my vantage point, it's kind of how, how I think about it, um, because mm. I wouldn't want our listeners here to think that something like student agency or onboarding students at the beginning of the year or 
uh, using data to drive instruction is somehow some sparkly innovation over here. Mm-hmm. It's fundamental to the work we do. Yeah, I often talk about when we when I first started teaching way back, we were doing small group instruction and we were looking at data and we were doing all those things. Uh, we just didn't have a specific name to it. Exactly. So. And I think that's part of my job. Our job at the system level is, mm-hmm. you know, what is that common language that we're using? Uh, what are the you know, the, those threads of professional learning, curriculum work that happens that threads across the entire district that we use a common language to talk about personalized learning, about using data to personalize learning, yeah. student discourse and collaboration, student choice and agency, all those mm-hmm. things. You know, we all know them as strong, high quality instructional practices. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And a lot of it could be a matter of using that common language to make it more of just how we do our work with all students. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing about Innovators Ignite, for those of you who are not not familiar with it, Innovators Ignite, it's a bite-sized professional learning opportunities that are available on the Vanguard website, which we will link on our webpage. But there's five to 10 minute articles, podcasts, videos that you can dive into and learn more about different blended learning, personalized learning topics. And so um, it's a, I really am enjoying the opportunity to talk about all these topics like onboarding and student agency and utilizing data to personalize learning. And like Anne said, these are all things that we all know are good and important in instruction, but I love that we have this opportunity to talk about it more and just bring the conversation back to these topics that are so important for student achievement. And they're just, they're great topics to cover when we're getting together or just listening on our own. So, and one of um, the things, uh, Laura, that I really appreciate is that they've been putting those snippets on Schoology. Like yes. I see some of the, you know, the sparks. Yeah, yeah. It's awesome. You know, so just those little snippets of professional learning for me to see has just been great. So, yeah. yeah and that's great to hear. Uh, that can be impactful. Um, for you as a veteran, probably master teacher, although I was never in your room, um, but think about the next generation of teachers that are coming through, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's probably around 25% of our teachers in Frederick County Public Schools are in their first three years. Yeah. And we're coming out of a pandemic. Oh my gosh. And their training, those new teachers, was probably interrupted if they had training or even student teaching. Yeah. Um, and, and so something like Innovators Ignite, to me, you know, really becomes a platform, a framework or whatever word we want to use mm-hmm. to help those early career teachers get their heads around a common language of what high quality instruction is. I, I was reflecting on, you know, coming in to get coffee today. Right. What happens now when we get coffee? It's personalized. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. do, do you want a caffeinated or do you want a decaf? Do you want a latte or do you want this or do you want that? What kind of milk do you want? What this, what the, I don't even know how to order some of this stuff. <laughs> um, but, right? but it's all personalized. Or, you know, last night I was starting to, to shop for the holidays and I went into Amazon and it pre-populates what Amazon thinks I should order, right? right. It's, it's, it's just our world now. Yeah. Um, and it's probably, I'm guessing, I haven't studied this in depth, but our younger teachers, our early career teachers, I think it's how they're wired hmm. um, in the in the digital age that they grew up in in the first two decades of this century. And so that's where I think, again, it's, you know, some of the tenets of Innovators Ignite. It's not a 
again, it's not a, a shiny innovation that you go off and do once you've got the basics down. It kind of is the basics. Mm-hmm. I just, it's funny you say that. I just uh, was reading a book called Readers Come Home by um, Marianne Wolf. I could be wrong about that. But she was talking about the same thing, how like our digital world and our reading print world is so different yet so the same. Mm-hmm. And you have to be purposeful more about your reading um, in terms of which platform you use. Mm-hmm. So I'm really intrigued by the way that you framed these new teachers coming in who are come from a world of personalization and they're coming into education already with that background. And that may not necessarily be how they were taught when they were in the, when they were students, but just that they're, they've experienced that as just as human beings and that's how they were raised. That makes me wonder like how, how will that change their mindset in terms of being introduced to blended learning or personalization? Will they be better equipped to, to move in that direction with their instruction? I mean, it's, it'll be interesting to see in the coming years, like how that's going to go. Yeah. I, I personally, my, theory or my hypothesis um, for many of them, they're wired that way and it comes natural. And, you know, it's not like where with some instructional approaches, like um, a station rotation, you know, our, our more veteran teachers um, who've been teaching a certain way most of their career and it's worked for them, you know, maybe a big shift. Yeah. But for this next generation of teachers that I'm talking about, it may just come natural. Um, yeah. Because this is the world we live in now. Yeah. Um, and also, I, you know, I was reflecting on the way over here, trying to, you know, if you think about it, I just mentioned when I was a 22-year-old brand new teacher, right? Our 22-year-old brand new teachers now, they were born in the year 2000. Oh, my gosh. So <laughs> they grew up digital. Oh, that's hard to They grew acknowledge. up digital. Yes. Um, they did. And, it's true. And so that's... Um, you know, what I was thinking about, you know, just sort of beginning to talk with you all today about innovation and what it means in our classrooms. It's it's also this generation that we have in front of us, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, going back to Innovators Ignite, another topic that we covered in Innovators Ignite this fall has been onboarding. How does onboarding create a more equitable learning experience for every student from, from your perspective, Scott? Yeah. Um, I hadn't thought about this one as much, um, but you know, one of the things that I've learned over my career and used to, you know, I've talked with teachers a lot about, I've talked with colleagues a lot about, is some kids just know how to do school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Whether it's getting ready in the morning or whether it's getting unpacked when they arrive to school or whether it's getting on a computer and logging in or whether it's navigating a digital tool, uh, whether it's keeping themselves organized with all the stuff that happens during the day and they know how to play school. But from an equity perspective, again, there's some students who show up maybe not as ready to do school today and yeah. need that onboarding, onboarding to uh, what's going to happen today, onboarding to the routines and procedures of a classroom, the onboarding to logging into a device and, um, and you know, again, navigating the digital tools. So I think the time that teachers spend, time that we all spend onboarding students in various ways, some of that is a digital piece onboarding students to digital digital interactions but there's also just onboarding to learning um every year and it probably yeah. never stops and uh, i really think it can level the playing field in a classroom and it's important it's important that and you know that we name it and we give it again that common language and you know some of our again those early career teachers 
now are, you know, thinking about being intentional about it because we know they're going to use the digital tools. Yeah. And, and we know they're going to use the digital tools within a station rotation where kids are going to move around a room. So the space better be ready and yeah. the digital pieces better be ready and the routines and procedures better be ready. So that's when we open up access for all students. Absolutely. So thinking about that equity lens um, and our reluctant learners, how can you use station rotation to help teachers better engage their reluctant students? It's a great question. Um, again, you know, I think about station rotation as a way for you know teachers to connect with students on a much more personal level. And, you know, I think sometimes people think about station rotation as, you know, three equal groups, for mm-hmm. example, three rotations of 20 minutes. And, and that takes up our hour. But, you know, really when we talk more deeply about station rotation and have opportunities to make it really targeted mm-hmm. and more intense for some, a little bit more independent for others, very strategic about how it plays out in the course of an instructional block, um, knowing that it's targeted for certain students or based on the data you have in front of you. You know, I, I really, you know, we, I think we all know that it can be a high leverage practice mm-hmm. um, that's fundamental to uh, meeting the needs of kids. I think it does kind of come naturally, more natural to our elementary teachers or, you know, we just talked sure. about doing station rotation. Sure. Could probably do it in your sleep in a in an elementary classroom, but you know, talk to some of our high school teachers. Maybe not so much. No offense to high school teachers, I was one. Yeah. But you know, I think that that's again part of the big time instructional shifts that we're talking about. Ways that we can reach every kid and yeah. personalize that learning and personalize yes. it. absolutely. Yes. Yep. Small group instruction. It's like the way to go. Yeah. And those middle school and high school teachers are doing um, station rotations. They just, they don't talk about it as much. You know, like I go visit these teachers and I, I see what they're doing and they share what they're doing, but they don't really, you don't hear about it as often. And I'm not really sure why that is, I guess, because it's just not part of the culture maybe, but elementary, it just seems like they're so much more, more willing to share and open up about their station rotations, whereas Secondary teachers seem to downplay it, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, and I think, you know, full disclosure, I was probably one of those teachers 28 years ago. You know, moving on from that special ed experience I talked about, my undergrad background was actually in history. So I got to teach a social studies class. Okay. And I thought I was a really good storyteller. (laughs) Um, So I'd stand up there and just... I'd stand up there and tell a story, <laughs> tell good stories about history for 45 minutes. Oh no. Yeah. So, and so if you had told me then to stop after six or seven minutes and put the students in groups and let them go and talk and mm-hmm. deliberate, I would, I would be like, what? Um, and now again, I think it just, it, it really, as I've learned more about teaching and learning yeah. um, that you know, this, this is what a classroom needs to look like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Agreed. So another way that all of us educators are able to get gauge what the students need is using data and collecting data to personalize learning. So can you tell us some ways that we can utilize real-time information to inform instruction? And how can we use that data to better reach the students who are having the most difficulty accessing what they should be learning? I have a lot of thoughts here, so cut me off if, if it goes right. too long. But nice. Nice. <laughs> I love it. So as we've said earlier, like on one hand, 
that doesn't sound like anything new, right? Yeah. Use your data mm -hmm. to inform instruction, to personalize learning, give an assessment, where do the, where the students are, how am I going to group them tomorrow? You know, some of that should hopefully come natural and is just how we do business in a classroom. But on the other hand, let's take the pandemic, for example. We've just totally interrupted all of the way that uh, we use data to drive instruction. And then we didn't have much data for a few few years. And now here we are in 22, 23, and the pendulum has swung all the way back um, because we've gone from, I think, being a little data poor through the pandemic yeah. to data rich or even data overload yeah. now. For um, sure. And it's intentional. We need to know where students are. We mm -hmm. need to know where those learning gaps are, where what the learning recovery is truly going to look like after the pandemic. And, this, mm -hmm. and so, you know, that's why we have these universal assessments like iReady. That's why we have benchmark assessments. That's why we have, you know, pretty robust, I've been impressed with robust assessments in our curriculum. Um, but I, it can also be overwhelming for teachers about, you know, now what do I do with it? Or, you yeah. know, take some of our real high quality digital tools that give you Boom! Personalized information in real time about where a student is right now, but this this one probably doesn't come natural to everybody and can be overwhelming. And so, first of all, this is my opportunity to make an FCPS advertisement for ALP. Um, mm -hmm. When which stands for? <laughs> sorry, <laughs> it's, it's funny the accelerated learning process, right? Yep, Alp, there it ALP is. Yep, yep. Um, is the FCPS term for it, but mm -hmm. you know we could give it lots of names. I've been in other places where we call it professional learning communities, yeah. where we call it grade level teams, where we call it core teams, where we call it collaboration, where we call it we're all in this together and we're going to be looking at data together and it's going to drive yes. the instructional cycle. And I love how intentional those meetings are with the way out this structure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's important that our teachers and educators know that um, that structure can be authentic. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't need to be scripted and it doesn't need to be a thing um, that feels like an extra or an add on. You know, yeah. my vision is that teachers rely on ALP do their jobs and get their jobs done and meet the needs of the students. Not that it's an add on meeting that you have to do, but you know, I've seen lots and lots and lots of examples of where a high functioning team of teachers working together. It's this, the fabric of how they plan, have how, the fabric of how they teach, the fabric of how they look at data afterwards and the fabric of how they plan the next cycle. Mm -hmm. um, and they come to rely on it because it works. Yeah. Not because someone told them they had to. Um, and I think that's a challenge when it, when it feels like an add-on and something that we all just have to do. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, my plug here is for uh, us all using the, the all the data that we have to make meaning of it, where our students are, what they need, and help, you know, help all of us come together as teams to engage in that instructional cycle. Mm -hmm. Secondly, you know, the, the digital tools and platforms and learning opportunities that we have, again, as a newcomer coming to the district, I've been um, just very impressed and pleased by some of what we have embedded in student experiences. For example, the, the Alex tool in secondary mathematics, the iReady tool in elementary mathematics. I mean, we're talking about pretty robust ways for us to see students learning 
strengths and gaps like right now in real time and personalized pathways to engage them right now in their learning. Um, and so I think high level, the ALP is just so super important and foundational. Micro level, so many opportunities to individualize learning based on the data that we have right now in real time to help students move forward. And I am concerned, really concerned about the impact of the pandemic. Personally, I have a fourth grader and a seventh grader, you know, who were in what? First grade and fourth grade at the time when we shut down, wow. respectively. So I've watched this unfold for, with my own children. Yeah. I've watched this unfold at the macro level in our district. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, we have awesome things like tutoring and summer programs and other uh, other supports that are going to be helping to address that, that, that learning recovery. But at the end of the day, it's going to come down to day-to-day instruction. Mm-hmm. It's going to come yep. down to day-to-day Absolutely. work that our teachers Absolutely. are doing in classrooms, and it's going to take and it's going to it's going to take a while. Yeah. And again, this is the generation of kids that are coming through school, right? So my child, who's in seventh grade, who's going to graduate in 2028, or her sister, who's going to graduate in 2031, aren't, isn't that scary? Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> I can't handle this. Um, yeah, this this was their learning journey, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think I got off topic there, but. No, right. absolutely. No, but I love the way you talked about, like, common assessments. <clears throat> like, that ALP is even a great place yes. to sit down and, like, look at, you know, cross-grade level common assessments, too. And, and how, how where was this kid? And look how this kid answered that question compared yes. to this one. Yes. And for what happens next, let's put right. it together. I don't right. want to be on an island doing it by myself. Absolutely. Yeah, I was such a better teacher when Katie Donovan arrived and yeah. we started really teaming up as eighth grade science teachers and creating common lessons, common assessments and going through the out process. It's so much better when you have someone by your side to go through it with. Mm-hmm. You talked about there being almost an overload of data right now. I, I imagine or just the teachers I've spoken to. I, I wonder or I worry that teachers are feeling overwhelmed by all the data in terms of what do I do with this? Like where, what do I pull? What do I, where do I even start for someone who isn't really experienced in taking the data to inform their instruction? And I, I really am hoping that like the message is getting out of, you know, think big, think of all the big things you can do with uh with the data that's available to you but start small find some so find some small step you can take toward using your using data in your instruction right now instead of looking at the big picture and saying this is too much this is overwhelming what can you do to move forward just an inch um, in that direction yep absolutely and at the same time i think you know being mindful i that our teachers really know our students the best, right? Yeah. I can sit back, I can sit here in my role and analyze data all I want, uh, or the principal of school can analyze the school data all they want. But at the end of the day, the teacher really knows the student best. And sometimes all of that data that could be overload either affirms what you already know mm-hmm. or causes you to ask questions about what do I need to explore further? Mm. Um because it's never one single data point, right? It's it's multiple measures. It's never just one thing. But at, at the very least, that that data can prompt a teacher to just ask more questions or affirm what they already are again already knew. Mm-hmm. So that's just you know again some thoughts I have on that. 
Yeah. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> so looking at a big picture system level about student learning and equity, how do you see FCPS supporting students in order to level the playing field? Big question. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, I, you know, I'm just going to, you know, go back to being the new guy in town and having been a principal and a curriculum director in other places. What FCPS has in place already is very, very strong from just the beliefs and mindset and the talent that I talked about earlier to the robust assessments that we just talked about, that being a little bit data rich, maybe too rich right now, and also the supports and interventions and instructional focus areas is, is really, really strong. And so I, I, I feel good about the current state, but the future state is also going to be very interesting because the future, our next decade, in all likelihood, is going to be driven by the Maryland blueprint or what's called yeah. the blueprint for Maryland's future, yeah. which, as you probably know, and our listeners probably do about is, you know, recent legislation and actions by the state board that are going to drive a lot of what happens in our district, in our schools, in our classrooms. Yeah. Um, and, and what that's all about is, number one, ensuring that those rigorous pathways are there for all students whether it's in careers, career pathways, whether it's in high-level coursework like AP, whether it's in dual enrollment, community college, uh, our job are to prepare every single student for those opportunities when they get to high school. It's not just for some, those are for all. And so what, what our challenge is, is how we're going to ensure that every single student ha has, is, is ready for that. And, so, and sometimes that being ready for that is, is happens through day-to-day -day instruction. And sometimes it happens through extra supports. And again, now personalizing those support pathways and what individual students need to be ready. We can't wait till high school to say, are you ready for an AP class? We need to know all along the way yeah. that we're preparing our students for whatever they want to pursue in high school. And so, you know, that I think is, is part of how we, you know, level the playing field by making sure students are ready, ready for the next level, whether that's elementary to middle, whether that's the next level, middle to high, or the ultimate level, high school graduation to whatever lies next for them, which, which is ultimately our ultimate responsibility is preparing kids to thrive in their future. This is my plug, my advertisement. Um, <laughs> I just mentioned AP, but I have a passion for whenever I mention AP, I also talk about career pathways. Yeah. Um, that are as rigorous, if not more, and as as aligned as ever to preparing kids for the workforce and just thriving careers that um, will, you know, just sustain them for the rest of their lives. I think yeah. I think we've done a good job uh, in FCPS. We've maybe done a good job in Maryland about debunking the myth that all students had to go to college to get into, uh, you know, a high wage, high sustaining, meaningful career. And that career technology, for example, was the lower rung. I think those days are gone, thankfully. Thank goodness. Um, yes. Jeffrey and, Canada. But our job to prepare students for those opportunities and choice and, you know, making those decisions in high school, those pathways that uh, we want every single one of them to be ready. Absolutely. So how can we stimulate a supportive school climate and environment with our families and our local communities? Whew, 
you know, that's a tough one because we, when we say we, you know, mm-hmm. as a director, I'm a couple steps removed from the, the schoolhouse. Uh, and I, I really think that um, that supportive school climate and the environment and our families feeling connected to school happens in the community, mm-hmm. happens in the local school, happens uh, with the people in that local school community. We have important jobs at the district level to communicate and send out, find out first and sure. use social media and go out and have meetings throughout the throughout the district. You know, I, I saw Dr. Dyson, for example, when she arrived and having meetings in various places mm-hmm. in, in, the, in the district and heard great feedback about what the community felt about that. But that happens maybe once or twice, right? I think that really yeah. the ongoing supportive school climate, we need to support our schools and our teachers and our principals and our counselors and everybody who works in a school to be building that climate and ensuring that families feel connected. Awesome. Appreciate that. Yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) Love it. All right. One more question before we get into the rapid fire questions. Do you want to ask? What's one piece of advice about (laughs) teaching that someone's given you that was so amazing you have to share it or so terrible that you have to warn people about it. <laughs> I'm like you needed to this. ask that. No, it was good. I'm you know, excited. and it's funny. That's one that I didn't catch when I was <laughs> reading. I didn't like, prepare for this one. Surprise! <laughs> Some of the best advice I ever got, and this was as a teacher and as a leader. It's not about you. Whew. Say more. Well, you know, as a teacher, I wanted to be in control. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to run everything. Mm. I, I wanted everything I planned to go according to plan. You know, as a leader, you know, you're, you, I'll just use my experience as a principal. You're the one standing in front of the entire faculty. You're the one handing out all the diplomas at graduation, but it's not about you. Mm-hmm. it's about the people you serve. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, this is a people business in education. We as leaders are serving people. Our folks, our, our professionals in our schools are serving kids. And, you know, we have, you know, I think I've noticed that FCPS has a real focus on servant leadership. Yeah. And so I've always taken that advice to heart. I hope, I hope people who work with me would say that, it's, it's never been about me. Um, it's been about kids and it's been about the people we serve. So that's been good advice that, that someone hit me up with long ago and hopefully has stuck with me over the years. <laughs> Thank it. you for sharing yeah. that. And that was, that was totally um, yeah. spontaneous. There, yes. So hope it Bravo. <laughs> Very well. Very well done. Yeah. Crushed it. All right. Ready for the rapid fire questions? Yes. All right. What are you reading now in relation to education? I'm much more of a short snippet guy with education. You know, quick articles, Ed Week, district administrator, social media. I really want to pay close attention to what's happening across the country. Most recently with how districts are responding to the pandemic. Most recently studying what <laughs> districts were doing during the pandemic mm-hmm. uh, when we were all in the middle of it. Um, so I, I, that's how I kind of stay up to date. Sure. Yeah. What are you currently reading for fun? (laughs) 
That was my question. I'm finishing for a second time endurance about Ernest Shackleton's adventure mm. almost about a hundred years ago in the, in the Antarctic where he got stuck and they were in the ice for months. So I'm, I have this thing for uh, nautical sea adventures. Excellent. Mm. We actually, in our seventh grade, I think it's our ELA teachers do a whole thing on Shackleton. Do they? Yeah. Wow. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. I've got to look into awesome. that more. Yeah. So what's your favorite theme for spirit days? You know, I, <laughs> not a whole lot of flair. I like when we all, I like, you know, wearing high school gear. Um, I just, okay. just went to the Frederick High Cadet team store because that was, that's my alma mater. And I didn't have any cadet gear. So nice. I like wearing that on Fridays, That's awesome. for example. Yeah. I love, I love that. So not wacky tacky. No. That no, is not I'm at all much surprising. more like yeah. wear a college sweatshirt <laughs> on Friday kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Or, or your Absolutely. high school gear. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's my favorite too. <laughs> um, so this is a, you know, we're World Cup time. Yeah. Who are you rooting for in I the mean, World Cup? I mean, it's got to be USA all the way, right? Yeah. It was a big yesterday. win yesterday. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. Pulsick really pulled it out, man. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So I guess we're still in it. Yeah. 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 yeah I think <laughs> so, too. Well, Scott, this has been fantastic. I am so glad we finally got to do this. Yeah, this yeah. was fun. I enjoyed it. And, yeah, it was you know, awesome it, it, it was actually, full disclosure, the first time I've sort of done something like this, it was just really enjoyable to talk out loud in this format yeah. uh, for, a, for a few minutes. So thanks for inviting me. It was great to be here with you all. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed it meeting you. I really did. It's awesome. And this has been episode three of Innovators Drinking Java with our host, Scott Murphy. We look forward to our next episode with Jennifer Sedarius from Newmarket Elementary. Take care, everybody.